Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, Addis JV3, and it is officially celebration season. And so I may have mentioned on the last episode that we are coming up on one year of podcasting. But if you're listening to this on July 29th, we'll make it officially one year. And just reflecting back on my own experience as a podcaster, the things that I've learned, the things that I would definitely never do again, and just the ways that Equity Matters has evolved. I'm just really grateful to each and every one of you for listening, for subscribing, for sharing, for following all all the verbs, right? Just, I appreciate the community that I've built through this platform, um, the relationships that I've curated, and I'm just... I'm just grateful. I I don't have any other word to to fill in there. And so thank you for rocking with us. Thank you for all that you do for doing the work. No pun intended. You'll see why that's funny in a second. But I'm just elated that this idea that started at a a Cracker Barrel table has turned into a full-blown initiative. It is a campaign it is a movement. It's all of those things. And so I want to just thank you all for, for joining me on the ride because there's no way that Equity Matters would be where it is without you all. And so I find it even more ironic and fitting at the same time that today's episode is actually about podcasting, but it goes a little bit deeper into this notion of storytelling and using podcasts to curate story and how you can use storytelling to advance social justice. So there, there's a lot that we've been able to pack into today's episode. And I'm really excited because just the range and depth of the people that we are going to hear from, phenomenal. Just leave it at that. And so without further ado, I am excited to introduce you all to Shimon Cohen, Dr. Marquita Dorsey, and Dr. Jonathan Singer, who are going to talk to us about storytelling, podcasting, and advancing equity. Thanks, James. And I'm honored to be on here with such uh, heavy hitters, you know. So my name is Shimon Cohen. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm a social work educator, podcaster, and I'd like to say change agent. Um. I got a podcast called Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change, where I interview folks who, just like it says, who are out doing the work in their communities, and that can take different forms. It could be social workers, educators, activists. You know, it's not limited to social work, although I do, you know, have a lot of social workers on there. And yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Marquita Dorsey, and I am an assistant professor at Loyola University. And I, to, to tell a little bit about the podcast, um, the podcast that I have um, that's near and dear to my heart is called From Girls to Women. And it is a podcast aimed at highlighting the voice and encouraging the personal agency of Black adolescent females. We've been on a slight hiatus. However, the initial purpose of that podcast was uh, to allow Black adolescent girls who lived in urban communities 
um, have a space to talk about their life experiences, talk about what they had on a daily basis to have to contend with. Um, and much of what came out of that experience uh, during those episodes uh, really pointed to my research focus, which has to do with the well being of Black adolescent females and primarily how they navigate urban spaces, um, including uh, getting their sexual health needs met, um, how family supports matter or don't matter, how fathers matter, uh, their experiences in schools and in communities. Um, and so a lot of what they talked about um, in those episodes and what I continuously hear uh, really just speaks to their experience um, and the lack of space that these young girls have uh, to really um, feel heard about what their needs are and most of all their life experience. Glad to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, and I have the uh, the distinct pleasure of um, of actually uh, having an office right next to Dr. Dorsey at Loyola University Chicago. Um, we haven't been in the office for 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 over a year um, because of the pandemic, but. Um, uh, yeah, so um, uh, so I've been I've been doing podcasting since uh, I published my first episode January twenty second two thousand seven. I was a doctoral student at the University of Pittsburgh, um, and I called my podcast the Social Work Podcast because the name was available <laughs> and the URL was available, and I knew that I wanted to do something for social workers. Um, uh, you know, doing the podcast has 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 really opened a bunch of doors for me. Uh, and and you know, when you do something like a podcast, when you do something technological in a social work space, people then assume that you know everything there is to know about technology. And so I found myself in situations where people were like, "Oh, well, so what about Twitter?" I'm like, "I don't know. I'm not on Twitter." And so I was like, "Oh, I got I got to get on Twitter, right?" And so. You know, podcast started in 2007, started on Twitter in 2009. I was tweeting something out about going to the American Association of Suicidology Conference in 2014. And somebody tweeted back, said, hey, um, we're starting a social media team. Do you want to jump on for the conference? I'm like, yeah, because I, I think tweeting out tech stuff is or stuff around suicide prevention is really important. And then from there ended up getting involved with this group of people. We decided to run for the board of the American Association of Suicidology because we weren't particularly happy with what the organization was doing. So now I'm the president of the American yeah. Association of Suicidology. And, you know, there is a through line from this position that I'm in right now uh, where I get to do things like give the opening keynote for a conference in Singapore or speak to folks in Australia. Um, uh, or, or even down the street um, at a high school here in, in Chicagoland, you know, and the podcast because of the doors that it opened because of the technology. I made a note to myself from podcaster to president. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, I look forward to uh, interviewing you when, when you take your presidency. So. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. You know, I'm, I'm a hothead, so we'll see. Um, so let's take a step back a little bit and let's talk about what led you to podcasting as a medium. So I've heard bits and snippets around it, but why podcasting as opposed to anything else? Um, well, I'll say for me, um, 
I found that my work, my practice work prior to me pursuing a PhD, which is what led me to pursue a PhD, um, just consistently highlighted um, the needs that Black girls had, which one of those needs was that they felt that they weren't being heard. Um, and I had a discussion with a group of high school students um, for a community project and thought that many of the topics that they brought up, that they felt that they were very passionate about those topics and they didn't have a space to voice uh, those opinions and those perspectives, very strong opinions and perspectives. Um, and I felt like they needed an unadulterated space to share those thoughts. And so uh, presenting them with the opportunity to, uh, for the most part, lead out a discussion, discussions that were most important to them in a space where they weren't in front of a public audience, um, but that their voices could actually be heard uh, without being interrupted, you know, putting those social work skills to practice, you know, making sure that, you know, that they feel affirmed and that they're empowered to share things in the way that they wanted to share them was really important um, to me. I thought that that might be podcasting would be a good space uh, for them to, to feel some uh, degree of being heard. Um, and based on their feedback, it, it seemed to be an effective mode of empowerment for them, for sure. So that's how I started, or that's how I began to explore these types of platforms as a way of empowering girls' voices because at the crust of it, that's the issue that they're not feeling heard. And, and based on some of the things that they talked about with regards to their experiences with administration in schools and communities, and even in their homes that in many cases uh, that people just weren't hearing what they had to say. So this gave them that space to be able to share. That's so cool. I love that. I really love that. Thanks. So yeah, I'll, um, I'll share a little about like how I even learned about what podcasts were too, because so I'm like, I love sports. I'm really into sports and some uh, like sports reporters that I followed. That's actually how I got onto Twitter too. Cause like they started going onto Twitter and to keep up, I needed to go onto Twitter and uh, see what they were putting out. And then they had, they started doing podcasts and I had, I had no idea what a podcast was. And this is not that long ago. <laughs> like this is probably 2017, I would say something like that, 2016, 2017. And um, one day as I was, and I would listen to them driving, you know, I would mostly listen to them when I was driving back when I did more driving than I've been doing for the last year. Right. And um then one day I was like, I wonder if they're a social work podcast, because sometimes it's hard to keep up on like the literature because of time, but I'm driving, listening to these sports ones. I could throw on a social work one every now and then and check that out. And then boom, I searched social work and, you know, the OG here, Dr. Jonathan Singer came up. And so I started listening to some of his, and then I also found in social work by university of Buffalo social work. So that was like a whole new world opened up to me where I could hear, you know, these interviews with like practitioners and researchers that would turn these 
you know, academic papers or just make it, it just felt so much more accessible to me, honestly. And um, I'd always been interested in people's stories. And I've had thoughts at times of like putting together compilations of like a book of stories, but it always just felt so overwhelming to me. Um, I've never had like a research position, you know, like all my jobs have been like, there's no space for that in the work I've done. Right. So, um, when I decided to start doing the work, I was talking with a friend of mine, Jordan theory, who, um, has a, has a company called dream chase media. And this is kind of before he got that fully going, but he, he's a documentary filmmaker and he did a documentary called the black fatherhood project. So we were first going to start doing the work together, actually. So I think that's important, you know, to put on the record. And I, and I usually do give him props for that because I don't know if I would have had the confidence to do it totally on my own, you know? And so we kind of, I think, pushed each other and then just logistically um, he was busy with his projects. And then, you know, I, I ended up doing the podcast and, you know, he's been on and we still collaborate on other things. So it's all, it's all good, but that's kind of how that happened. It was like this way to turn those stories into, into, you know, put them out there and amplify them. And also in a way that's really accessible to me and to other people. Yeah. I, I, you know, I love this, the, 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 the idea that podcasting is a way to get out voices and perspectives, stories, um, when I started the social work podcast, I wasn't thinking about stories. I was thinking about the social work students that I was teaching who were going to leave the institution, go into the field, do the work, and be locked out of all of this amazing insight, all this amazing information. And and I'm not, I'm not saying that academia, you know, because it's academia or the academy has amazing information. I'm saying that after a decade of being in the field and going back for a doctorate and, and reading some things and being like, oh my God, like these people, like some of these people have some really deep insight into um, either the human condition or the ways that we think about how to work with people and specifically about addressing things at a micro level, which is I was teaching a practice theories class. And I thought, you know, I wish somebody had had talked to me about practice in the way that I, I realized that people can talk about practice, right? And, and I think what was what was going on is that I could only understand that because I had already been practicing, right? There's a lot that you don't know when you're in an MSW program about the way that social work works, right? About the way social services work. And MSWs are not supposed to do that, right? That's that's why you get out there and it, like you practice and practice and practice because you're always practicing, right? So I wanted to create a resource for social workers to be able to have access to information that would help them do their jobs better. It was only once I kind of cycled through the lectures or summaries of the lectures that I had been given 
that I've been giving in that semester. Um, and I'd really thought through, I was like, wow, wait a minute, this medium can do so much more. I, and part of it was prompted by the fact that there was this guy, Ed Seitz, who was a professor at University of Pittsburgh, who in his career had successfully <laughs> gotten half a billion dollars in grants, um, in part because he started the child welfare training programs. Um, and he was retiring. And he had, he, he told this story in the social welfare class that I took about having lunch with Francis Perkins, the person who wrote the Social Security Act. And I was like, what? <laughs> Wait, you had lunch with Francis Perkins? Wait, honestly, like more people need to hear this story than are enrolled in your like 25 person child welfare history class, right? So I thought, oh, the podcast could be the vehicle through which we capture institutional memory, where we capture these threads of history, whether those threads end up being valuable because of what people say or because they provide insight into how people were thinking at the time, right? Um, and so I started to do some interviews. I started to think about the stories. Then, of course, the more that I did the podcasting, the more I, the more I realized that people want to hear stories, right? Like, you know, Philip Pullman um, is a British author, um, said that, um, you know, after nourishment, shelter, and companionship, stories are the thing we need most in the world. And I, and I love that idea, and I love that podcasting can do that. So even though I didn't start out to tell stories, it 100% has become a sort of a central part of what I do. If I can add to that, Jonathan, I really appreciate that point where you said more people need to hear these stories. I, I also feel that there was a driving force behind the podcast for the girls because I felt that their experience was not being talked about and the challenges that they were facing and, and the issues that they were talking about among themselves, amongst themselves, uh, was just not being addressed enough. And I felt that there were many social workers that would really appreciate hearing this because so often when these young people get in a room with other adults, they don't talk the way that these young women were talking when I was, <laughs> when I said, hey, we should put this on a podcast because others need to hear this um, very candid discussion. And they were willing to talk and talk more and think of other things that they figure folks may want to know. But I, it definitely started there, you know, that more people need to hear these stories. Um, and that helped when I heard other social workers after the episodes were, were posted that, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna share this with my after-school group, um, taking this peer-to-peer -peer approach that you hear these other girls talking about these experiences now using that and those stories to kind of prompt other, other, other discussions. So yeah, that's definitely a key part of this experience for sure. I don't think I ever told the full truth behind Equity Matters starting, but it, it actually grew out of a point of frustration. Um, during the pandemic, we would have these equity uh, 
not conferences, but kind of webinars. And it just felt to me like the same voices always were heard. And I was just like, oh my God, like there's other people who do equity work in this mm-hmm. country. Like I, I know them, I can find like five on Twitter, like give me 10 minutes. And it came to a point where I was like, I want to talk about equity, but I don't want to use the usual suspects. Like I, I want to pull in people, not necessarily in public health, because that's that's where I, I live currently. And it's like equity is something we can have a conversation about just about anything. And I think that's been demonstrated through the podcast. I mean, from education to I've got an episode coming up soon on environmental justice and climate justice and food security. Like equity is one of those things where we're all striving for it in some way even if it doesn't look the same for us. And so that's kind of like the background behind Equity Matters. And to your point, Shimon, earlier, I didn't want it to be like a social work podcast because I didn't want people to just think that equity only existed within social work or in social justice. But like, I want people to think about it broadly, like in the space that I'm currently in and occupying, how is equity not showing up or how should it show up? And so I, I think about that in like every episode I put together is like, from the place that I sit, what does equity look like? And how can I articulate what equity should be in this space? Like if we're all looking for a just world at some point, we all have a, a role in a sector and a responsibility to get there. I love the fact that that you and Shimon and other folks who are social workers, who are trained in social work, who sort of understand social work, um, do not feel the need to brand your podcast social work, right? Uh, I think social work is inherently interdisciplinary. And when I started it in 2007, there wasn't anything out there, right? And I thought, oh, well, it was kind of the opposite. It's like, oh, well, like there's like this American life, there's this, there's like, there are all these things, but nobody is doing this for social work. Mm. So like I should do this for social work, and it's that same thing. Like there is there is a need, you 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 recognize the need, and you went out there and you did it, which I think is is fabulous, and it's one of the things that's most powerful I think about podcasting, which is that you you just need a microphone and some way to get it out there, and then you got a podcast, right? And there are lots of crap podcasts out there, some of which have big name sponsors. And then there's some amazing podcasts that, you know, only a hundred people listen to, but the, the information is, is rock solid. And so I think it's great that you did that. Shimon, of course, I think it's great that you did that. Marquita, obviously your project is so important. Um, and I think that the, the ideas that are most compelling to us are the things that make it most compelling for our listeners. Um, and so this wasn't academic for you. You weren't like, oh, equity, let's do equity because, you know, you're like, no, (laughs) like, let's, let's, let's spread the love. Like, let's get some other voices in here. So I think it's beautiful. So in that, in that vein, right. And we're talking about story. How do we make sure that we're incorporating story as part of the, the whole podcast structure? I mean, those are the things that typically stick with us beyond the episode. Like, I mean, we can drop stats all day. We can give detailed descriptions of experiments, but the stories, how do you make sure that you pull that out of your, of your guests or also how do you make sure that you incorporate story? Hmm. 
I think mine, because I focus on it always from the beginning, the intention was to have the person or the folks who are guests, you know, sharing about their experiences that there was going to be a story aspect to it. I mean, even in the title, right? Frontline stories of social change. It was right there. And I do have an outline and that's definitely helped me, especially early on when like I was kind of developing, you know, how am I going to approach this? But I've branched, I branch out a lot from there. So what I tell people is, you know, here are some questions to get us going, but we'll flow off of the conversation and some episodes I like having asked people how they got into the work, but I do try to do that on most of the times. There's just been certain episodes where maybe we've been talking about like a specific um, theory, like the critical race theory episode with Dr. Laura Abrams and and Nicole Vasquez, you know, that one we didn't read. I don't know if we really got into like how they got into the work because there was already that already was like one of my longer episodes because there was so much to talk about with that topic. But I still think the way they're talking about it makes it feel like a story because it's not all like you're saying, it's not a whole bunch of statistics. It's, it's, I don't know. There's just something about the format of podcasting that um, because of that oral aspect to it, you know, even like, you know, and I, and I've been fortunate to have transcripts of my episodes too. And that's, you know, an accessibility piece that I take seriously where, um, but even reading the transcript, there's like a flow to that too, you know, and it feels like a, it feels like a conversation. It feels like a dialogue. So I would, you know, I would say that's, that's how I approach it. I would say in my case, I, I think much uh, like Shimon, I started out with the idea that, you know, we really want to hear from uh, these young women and hearing about their experience with the backdrop being all about empowerment. That meant that I really needed to allow them to speak the way they wanted to speak, use the dialect that they were most comfortable with. If what language they used, um, what slang they used, um, and making it clear that they were free to do that. Um, with that in mind, I started out each um, episode or started out with, okay, here are some ideas, but the general idea here is that we talk about your experience living in an urban setting. And what is that like? And so prior to recording, we would list out some topics um, that led into other topics. Um, And I I would ask them questions along the way. So it literally was very similar to the initial discussion that I had with these young women um, that led up to the idea to do a podcast. You know, I am as inquisitive about their experience as someone would be to an expert in the room, you know? And so I saw 
them out as an expert of their experience as an adolescent black female living in an urban community. And I wanted to know, what are you all dealing with? What are you experiencing? What are you talking about? What, what are you feeling, you know, when this happens? And tell me in your own words, you know? And that I think was the beginning of every episode. This is you leading this discussion, not me. Um, and that seemed to really encourage um, their sense of voice again, which is the purpose of, of this podcast. Uh, you know, with my, with my interviews, I always tell folks, you know, tell stories, like have, have a point, tell a story. Um, uh, I, and because my episodes focus a lot on practice, I do want people to dive in. And I've, I've had to learn that, that, the skills that made me a good clinician didn't necessarily make me a good interviewer. The curiosity was essential to being a good interviewer. But for example, when I would talk with somebody about something that was going on with them in a clinical setting, I would say, you know, like, oh, so tell me more about that, which is great in a therapy session because it's just me and them, right? It's all about them. They can wander, they can go wherever they want. But if I'm listening to an interview and somebody's like, tell me more, it's like, tell me more about what? So I learned that there, there are some more evocative questions. It's like, can you paint a picture for us about what it was like when you stepped into that house? Can you, um, do you, do you remember what, what the smells were like? Do you, you know, sort of help people paint, paint pictures with their words to tell those stories. Um, uh, and, and I think that that is something that is, uh, I'm still, I'm still practicing it. I'm still trying to get it down. And it's also something that if I'm talking to a researcher, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like there's this sort of sense of like, wait, what? Just kind of like you were saying before, uh, James, about, about, you know, dropping statistics and things like that. It's like, why are we just talking about the numbers, like what is behind the numbers? What is the story behind this? What is what is that question that really drove you to want to do this in the first place? Um, and I, and I have to say, like, so I think that I, I've loved hearing all all about the stories that that kind of are embedded in what we do. But I don't think podcasts that I have heard that any of us do. Um, take advantage of some of the forms of storytelling that can be most compelling. Um, and Marquita, this is not <clears throat> this is not specifically about your uh, style, which is really about having girls tell their own stories, right? Talk about these things. That's that's different, right? So, so right now we've got podcasts that social workers do that that essentially sort of fall into one of three categories, right? You've got a talking head. Right, somebody just saying what they're going to say. Somebody do an interview, or like an expert panel. This and this one right here kind of falls along the expert panel, but we don't have anybody that's doing um, uh, sort of nonfiction stories. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I think it would be amazing if somebody, uh, particularly somebody who was really looking at the history of social work could do a podcast that told these stories about uh, sort of a critical history of social work and bring people into, well, what was it like in the beginning days of social work as a profession? What was it like when, um, 
the uh, the folks that started the National Association of Black Social Workers were like, no, we're not doing this with NASW anymore, right? What was it like in the 1980s when social work was like, well, managed care is kind of the way to go. So like, we got to hop on that train. Like, what if we had somebody that was doing that? And that's sort of kind of what I think of as like a nonfiction storytelling podcast. You could also have a fictional podcast that's legit stories. Like, um, what is the experience of being a 16 year old who's struggling with psychosis? What is it like, you know, I could go on and on, but like, what are these things that are happening to really evoke what's going on in somebody's life. And I, I hope someday somebody gets to do that. I, I wish I could say it would be me. I don't know if I'm ever having the time or energy or funds to do it, but I do think there is also, there are these, these approaches to storytelling that social work doesn't do that lots of other people are doing. Yeah. I, I really like that. You know, I've had this, idea i'm just gonna say it even though i've kept it to myself for so long <laughs> uh oh here it is well, well jordan and i have <laughs> talked about it is because he's a filmmaker right so it's like turning doing the work into like a video like a yes. real sh like a show where we yes. actually go to the places where people where the people are that are doing the work and we kind of put it together like an episode like a tv episode where it's like these are the situations going on in this community, you know, but that's like so much harder <laughs> to do um, logistically, you know, funds, like they're like, now you're traveling. Now there's a whole bunch of logistical stuff. Now there's like releases and consent stuff for like the people. I mean, it's right. Like, I don't even know how to do that, you know, but anyone listening, if you know how, you know, uh, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> I mean, even Ira Glass gave up the, the 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 TV show, right? I mean, he he started. Uh, uh, I think he had two seasons of This American Life as a, a visual medium, and he was basically like, "No, mm. not doing it. It is it is way too hard, right? The story, like he's like, I know how to tell a story. What I don't know is lighting." And, and and sort of set design and all these sorts of things. So I, I agree, Shimon, but I love that idea. I would totally, I would totally pay whatever, you know, Netflix plus to see, um, you know, <laughs> doing the work as a, as a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, for a podcast that is socially conscious focused, you know, like I would say like seen on radio, the way, um, you know, they put together an episode and, and there's like a storytelling component to it. You know, they've got like different clips from different people. They've got like background. It's almost like you can picture it, you know, um, you know, I think John B. went in Chenjirai Kumanika, the way Dr. Chenjirai Kumanika, the way they do that is, is incredible, you know, and that's something I I've like, really you know admired and in jonathan you, you know i want to put it out there like you know you were always like super supportive to me like right from the beginning when i i don't even remember the first thing i reached out to you about and it was like you know you could have been like oh like who's this new kid on the block type of thing or like you know competition whatever you know i've got like millions of downloads like you know and uh but you were like and you you actually told me that part of like 
try to paint that picture, you know, try to ask the questions of like, so will you bring the listener into the setting, you know, with this person. And so that, that really helped out my style, which is still evolving, right? Like the way I interview is, is totally still evolving, but you know, thank you. I've always, I want to put that out there because I think it's so important. I think it's so important that we support each other in this work because it's hard and we need each other, you know, we need each other to help each other to elevate. That's very kind of you to say, Shimon. Thank you. I appreciate that. I love the work you do. So paid off. (laughs) (laughs) When we're, when we're talking about storytelling, there's definitely an opportunity for us to kind of paint the picture of equity and inclusion as well. And Dr. Dorsey, I can see very clear connections there on, you know, creating a space for, for young girls to tell their story so they can feel heard. And, you know, me, I jumped to policy, like people will listen and make decisions that are gonna improve conditions. But how are you able to use stories to, to promote equity and inclusion? So I think that the, one of the, the sheer nature of where our society or how our society sees um, black females and black girls, um, the, goal of the podcast is to impact that, right? So there is already an inequity around how um, young girls, Black girls are seen. Um, They face um, this concept of adultification where they are seen in a much older light uh, than their peers. And there's an inequity there as it relates to their female counterparts from other racial groups. There is an inequity, a gender inequity. Uh, And so what to me, this podcast offers them is a space to level the playing field of sorts, right? So if there is someone out there willing to listen to the stories that they tell in their language recognizing that the tone of their voice is not that it's them being aggressive, but it's their way of expressing themselves, for example. Um, Hopefully someone would then begin to see, oh, okay, this is not them attacking me. Instead, this is me, this is them sharing how they feel in a passionate way, for example. Um, I feel like that, the goal is to help people begin to see that there is similarities, but there are also differences and those are okay when it comes to black adolescent female experiences. So that's the, that's, I I think it's the crust of it, right? Is to inject it into dialogue about adolescent development um, where so often black girls are typecast to being a certain particular type, right? they are assumed to be a particular way. And, and the hope is that when folks hear this, including uh, administrators or teachers or other social workers or community partners that are working with young black girls, that they're able to see that, oh, okay, this is, this is how they really feel about this. And this is a concern and how then can we make a difference there? Yeah, if I can just jump on after that, too, because Dr. Dorsey, you know, I wanted to check out your podcast since I knew we were going to be on here together. And, I, you know, I, I it, to me, I'm always hearing from social work uh, faculty who are looking, especially who teach human behavior in the social environment, because mm-hmm. those have, courses have tended to be so textbook 
heavy and um often the textbooks are eurocentric right and um and they've like i'm always seeing these like listserv conversations of what's out there you know for these classes and it's like your podcast is a perfect podcast because you hear it straight from these girls like i was listening to your first episode right on school to prison pipeline and like Mm-hmm. obviously like they know what's up like they know what's going on do. but who's listening and, you know but who's listening and who who trusts that they know what's going on so that for me having them have a space to alert everyone that they do know what's going on hopefully will signal to folks that are working with young girls that uh, signal to them a different way of engaging them is, is essentially the goal um, because they do know, um, they may not communicate in the way that we are accustomed to them communicating that they know, but they do, you know, um, and they even speak about how they felt censored, um, and that then creates the frustration that oftentimes is misinterpreted as aggressive or sassy or frustrating, you know, um, and so that then prevents them even further from speaking out because they want to avoid hyper-disciplinary actions against them or their peers. And so it's a vicious cycle, um, but it all begins with, you know, them feeling heard and feeling valued and feeling uh, that they can be believed um, by what they say. So that's where the equity comes in for, for this podcast and the Black, Black girls in particular. Uh, at the adolescent stage of development. Yeah, I think it just so flips the whole deficit-based approach that social work historically and present day still is doing, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, listen to these girls, you know, and, and then go and do, you know, go, act off of this, you know, in your work, mm-hmm. in your social work, whether that's your teaching, you're practicing, you're doing policy work, like whatever you're doing, you know, listen to them. Hear them first. <laughs> yeah, and then do Hear it. Hear them first. Yeah, and then do it right. Exactly. Well, I think that, you know, this it's a really important point, which is that, um, you know, the, the, the structure that we, the structures that we live in um, have different ways of saying whose voices matter. And there is something magical about being recorded Mm -hmm. it it lends an authority to a story it says this is worth listening to um and it could be because you know marquita dorsey said this is a story worth listening to right so there might be a gatekeeper in there somebody's like well we respect uh dr dorsey so we're going to respect this and and i don't think that we could ever get around that I think you can't ever imagine, I, I can't imagine a, a world where people could just randomly say things and then you have enough time, space, or energy to be like, well, which ones make sense to me? How do I sort of mm-hmm. um, sort of separate the signal from the noise? Um, but I think a lot of the, um, uh, the, the, the idea behind, well, what is noise, right? What is the stuff we shouldn't listen to? is um uh is oftentimes misplaced right it's like oh well we shouldn't listen to these these black girls 
uh, share their experience. Like that's noise, right? What we need to do is X, Y, and Z. And you're like, no, 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 listen to them first and then, and then do the thing. And, um, uh, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pretend that my podcast started with an equity focus. It absolutely did not. Um, if anything, back in 2007, what I was, what I was intending in some of the, especially the early episodes was making sure that I was um, pushing a pushing up against a lot of stereotypes around practice and practice theory and what it could look like in practice. Um, but I think that the idea of making sure that people have what it is that they want and need in order to do whatever it is that they need to do, I, I do think that that is sort of central to why I've selected the episodes that I've selected, right? The topics. Um, I remember interviewing Alan Rubin, who wrote the Rubin and Babby research book, right? And I was like, I was like, wow. So like, so many people use this research text. Like, what do you think are the most important things for social workers to know about research? And he was just like, look, there are basically like three things that all social workers should know. I was like, oh, like that was really powerful. Like it was really powerful. It gave people tools like, oh, I don't have to, I don't have to read the whole, I don't have to know how to like counterbalance of this. And I don't have to know a structural equation. Like there are three things that I need to know. Right. And, and I think that's a really powerful way of saying, particularly in that, for that context, like researchers don't know it all. Right. And social work practitioners, if you, if you have a general idea of what these three concepts are, like that's really all you need. Right. And then you can move forward and have this discussion, be able to read stuff. So um, those are just some of the ways that I have um, uh, started to think about this concept of equity in sort of how it's played out in my podcast. But, um, but I absolutely don't want to say that I started out in 2006 thinking about equity um, in the, in the podcast at all. And I think that goes to say a lot about how our, how podcasting as an art evolves, because I know for myself, you know, I tell folks all the time, like I'm a policy person, like that's the language that I speak. And when I meet other micro practitioners and they're telling me about practice, it's like, well, how do we meet in the middle, right? And that's where equity matters is, I think it thrives because it looks at the social determinants of health. Like it looks at these different aspects of where people live, where they play, where they pray, where they grow. And then we talk about equity and how equity shows up or should show up in this space. And I am still, I mean, I tell folks all the time, like, I could talk about equity all day, but there's still so much that I need to learn. Like I, I don't go across and like flaunting myself as like the equity expert. Like I understand that even equity matters. Like I want to get transcripts on there. Like I, I realize there's people that I am missing because I'm not totally inclusive. And I, I acknowledge that and I'm trying to create a process for it. And that's what equity does. Like it encourages us to do better, to remove barriers so other people can have what they need to thrive. You know, it's interesting that to have equity in that case with accessibility, there's like a cost. There's literally a, an, like a cost to that, right? Like there's not an easy way to um, have a transcript. And so if you're going to do it yourself, the cost is the time. 
your time. Right. And if you're going to pay, you know, if you're going to have like a place to do it, there's, you got to pay for it. So that right there is like a conversation around equity of that. It's like not built in. It's just not, it's not built in even to the podcasting medium, you know? Well, and I think it also speaks to how social work as a profession thinks about priorities, right? So what if social work said, we're going to invest time and energy to develop technology so that there were instant accurate transcriptions, um, not only in English, but there would also be uh, the, the transcripts would then be um, translated into Spanish or other languages. And we said, as a profession, right, there are like 800,000 of us, and any one of us doesn't make a lot of money, but as a profession, right, there are a ton of us and we have a ton of resources. What if we were to create something that was open source, public domain, anybody that creates an audio product will automatically have a rockstar transcript and the possibility for uh, multiple languages. Like nobody's doing that because nobody's thinking, well, how can I make money on that? But maybe, maybe we need somebody who's not thinking about, well, how will I make money on that? But how will we actually be able to improve access and make this world a better place by having that instantly accessible? I know there are a lot of people who are like, don't do that because all these transcription companies are going to go out of business and like that's their business model. But it's just one of these things that like as a tech person or as somebody who thinks a lot about tech, I'm like, well, if we did that, then it would be there. That would be an amazing contribution. But you instead, know, I, I just have my my listeners transcribe my podcast for me. <laughs> but that's great that they do it and that you put it out there. You know, it's it's so important. I, I want to just say a little about equity, you know, with doing the work. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, from the beginning, I wanted it to be about social change and we can, obviously people can argue about what is social change and if it's radical social change or reformist social change. Um, but I wanted to keep it, you know, kind of broad, you know, to not like put myself totally in a box with that. Um, and in the beginning too, it was like, who can I even interview? Like, who do I have? Like, who do I know? <laughs> you know, who can I get on here? But as I've, but I always had that, like, I, you know, I always had like I, this, in, this mindfulness, this intention of like, who are my guests going to be? Right. And like, who am I? Right. Like um, I'm a white guy, you know, I'm a white Jewish guy. Like I'm not like a researcher. Um, I'm more of like a practitioner at the time I was a clinical um, instructor, right. Doing the podcast wasn't part of my job. It was like something I needed to do for me. In some ways it was out of feeling um, also stuck in what I was doing in my role that like there wasn't, it felt like a big place for, you know, like, Liber any sort of liberatory practice, you know, confined by those structures. So I really wanted to put that into the podcast. And, and so that's been something I have like, you know, tried to keep it the focus. I, I wouldn't have said necessarily equity probably at the beginning. Um, and then over time it's totally evolved. So I wouldn't be probably like, who I am right now 
if it wasn't for all the people I've interviewed on the podcast, because like I have changed through those conversations and I'm seeing Dr. Dorsey nodding. So I'm wondering <laughs> like you changed through those conversations with the girls too. Absolutely. And such a big way. Um, because I mean, you know, of the many years I work with adolescents and even adolescent girl, adolescent girls, sometimes, you know, <laughs> you know, I've always said that adolescents can sniff out a phony from a mile away, right? Mm. They can detect something that's not real and chew you up and spit you out in a heartbeat. Um, and I wasn't certain that this could turn into something more than just a conversation and then perhaps another conversation. But what I realized was that these young women uh, found some, as Jonathan said earlier, <laughs> they felt some of that magic of being recorded and being heard. And I realized that they needed this space um, but also realized how challenging their living experiences were that they just weren't talking about on a regular basis, you know? And I felt that if they were talking to me about this, it was almost like, I, I wish that other people were like flies on the wall to hear this, hence why um, the value of a podcast seemed very appropriate here. Um, but I also thought, who else would be willing to tell me is this group of young girls just that outspoken? But I hope that other folks would take this mode, meaning this podcast medium, uh, and use it with other groups of girls and, and allow girls to be free in how they talk about things and, and how they engage uh, with their own voice. Because again, the Black adolescent female voice is not one that we hear often. And it's certainly not one that's celebrated and it's, it's rarely one that's relied upon as, as a source of information. Um, Jamon, you yeah. mentioned something that I wanna, I wanna return back to about, you know, why me doing this podcast, you know, as a, as a white man, as a Jewish man, and I, I have the same thoughts often, right? Like I think about the fact that I'm not a researcher, I'm not a professor. And I start to question like the credibility of why me? Like the legitimacy of, of, a, of a Dr. James Bell, I'm still getting used to that. Um, and it actually informs and encourages me to do it, right? Because we have this notion of what the storyteller is supposed to look like or who's supposed to be the authority. And for me, it's like, let me disrupt that model, right? Like mm -hmm. people wanna hear from a James Bell, like a kid from Detroit with a certain lived experience that had to navigate certain spaces, like that lived experience that you might not get, or we have assumptions about what, you know, the person who's supposed to tell the story should look like. Yeah, and for me, that's like, because the positionality is different, right? So I really think of like one of the episodes that to me was the most transforming wasn't even one where I hosted the episode, right? So I passed the mic to Sharla Yearwood, 
who is amazing, who had been a guest on a prior episode, which is still the most popular uh, doing the work episode on white supremacy and social work. It was Sharla and Laura Hogue. And Sharla hosted this episode with four black social workers, all speaking about their experiences with social work education, right? So Andre, Harris, Deshauna, Fussell Ware, Deanna Ayers, and Vivian Taylor. And they all had different levels, like um, bachelor's, master's, PhD, right? So it covered um, so much. And so I passed the mic on that one because I didn't know if me, if I would get in the way of the conversation that could emerge. And, um, but I was there, right. Cause I was recording, I was making sure like the sound stuff and all of that. So I was there in real time. It wasn't like, I just listened to it later or I edited and, you know, I was like having like an experience also, cause I didn't have to think about what I was going to ask next. And I'm just hearing these raw, vulnerable stories of these four folks who have like been through it in social work education and how like horrific and painful and violent it's been and how they had to like educate themselves and seek sources outside of social or just so much that's in there. I mean, people need to listen to it because I'm, you know, you got to hear it straight from them. That's the whole point of this, right? That's what we're talking about. But I could not listen to all that and then not feel like I have to act like there's just for me, there's just no way, you know, and, and it made me really reflect on like my own teaching and my own work. And, you know, have there been times where I've been part of this problem, you know, and there have, you know, and so I hope when people listen, that's what they're thinking about. That's what I hope that they're like really honoring those stories and those people's lives, you know, and, and that um, we're this profession that says do no harm, but harm is being done. And so what are we going to, what are we doing about it? And like, that's an equity issue, right? That's an equity issue. You know, it's also like, there's no separation. That's like a real life, like issue <laughs> that hurts. It's affecting people, you know, on, on a regular basis too. So that, that like, um, that like changed the game for me in a way, I would say like listening to that. So I just, I just wanted to speak to that. Cause I think it was powerful. And that's, that's like the second most listened to episode also. So the two that Sharla was on or the two, <laughs> you know, I, I've joked with her. I'm like, some point I'm just going to, you know, you're the host and I'll, I'll produce it. <laughs> hey, when it works, it works. Right. And I, I think you, you've actually answered my, my last question around when you think back on the work that you've done as a podcaster, what are some of the stories that stick out with you most? And Shimon, it sounds like, you know, you weren't even in that particular story, but it, it was hearing it being a part of the process it helped to transform the way that you even approach your own work. And so I wanna ask uh, Dr. Dorsey and Dr. Singer the, the same thing. And Shimon, if there's another one, you can feel free to chime in. 
John, do you want to go first, or you want me to go first? No, I, I, I yeah, sure. So, um, I, I think this is one of the beautiful things about being a podcaster is that I have learned so much by doing the podcast, right? Not just because I hear the interview once. But I hear it over and over and over again during the editing because I think about it. I'm like, what am I going to cut? What am I going to keep? How am I going to wrap this into an introduction, right? So I really have spent time processing like 120-some interviews. And, um, uh, and I think that there's been something in every interview that I've published that has been one of those magic moments. I've interviewed – I probably have – at this point, probably 30 or 40 interviews that have never gone public and never will because they just didn't hit the mark, right? Um, but I'm thinking of a couple of, of, of stories. One, I, I remember talking with um, uh, Sarah Kai Price from uh, VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, and she's talking about perinatal loss, and she talked about the beginning of her career, she was doing um, hospice work. And she was sitting with a woman whose husband had just died. And the woman was um, just completely, completely torn apart. And, and everyone was surprised because, you know, she knew that the husband was going to die. Like this was not a surprise. And they'd done a lot of grief work in, in advance. And, and then the woman says, he's the only one that knew about our miscarriage. I've never talked to anybody else in my life about this. He was the only one that held that, and now he's gone. And I just, and I'm actually, I'm tearing up, like, recounting this. Like, it was so profound, and it was so profound for her, it shifted her entire focus and her entire career, that story. And the fact that when we think about hospice and we think about grief and loss, we don't tend to think about how that can bring up a loss from, for this woman, and I guess it was like 70 years earlier, you know, and the secret that's kept. And, um, Anyway, that's one of the most profound stories um, that that I've heard on the podcast, um, and it, um, it it's 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 it stays with me. Yeah, I believe Jonathan, we've used that um, episode in one of the in the Hubsy in the Human Behavior and Social Environment course, and you're right, it is very touching. Um, the students also appreciate that as well. Um, well, one of the experiences, well, every, I'll just say this, every episode left me thinking more and more about the needs of Black girls and particularly the experiences, the weight that they, they, they carry. Um, but there was one episode where I was at an actual after-school site and the young people were, there were young people outside of the room where I was interviewing a dyad. So there were two best friends um, and they were talking about their experience, um, different experiences, but they were talking about how young black girls at their school were dealing with sexual pressures and bullying. And the interview was interrupted by a young girl who came inside the room that we were in and she was in tears. 
And she was in tears. And the one of the young women that was being interviewed, we had to stop because she wanted to check in on her. Of course, I encouraged her to check in on her. Um, she checked in on her, she went and consoled her and we were all kind of like, what's going on? Is everything okay? And lo and behold, she had just experienced some bullying outside the door of us podcasting about these girls' experiences, one being bullying on the campus. And so after having some time with the young lady, obviously outside of the podcast, the young girls, the, the two that were being interviewed come back and they talk, they then kind of allude to the fact that, yep, this is how it is. You know, this is what we have to deal with. And this is why she's dealing with that. And this is why other girls deal with that. And this is how I would not, but it just, it was almost like um, their experience was alive and in living color right there before my eyes, right? So hearing them talk about it was one thing. And then seeing, being interrupted by something that had been, or that as they discussed, was so powerful to their powerful to their experience in the school and just in general uh, at that stage of their development was just very eye-opening to me. It was different from me reading about uh, the high rates of bullying among girls in urban schools. Uh, it was different from me hearing how black girls might be over, uh, they might experience higher rates of suspension or uh, higher rates of expulsion. This was the opposite extreme where there was no one there to come to her rescue so much so that she was trying to get away or hide out into a room that she thought was empty. She didn't know that we were in that room. Um, and so that was just one of those instances that, you know, just made me pause and just forced me to reflect on not just their t what they're sharing with me, but the realities that they're dealing with always. Um, and the two young women that I was interviewing, they talked about how they had overcome those experiences. How did they, how were they able to avoid being bullied or how were they able to uh, help someone else that they felt or function as an ally or help others that were experiencing bullying? Um, yeah, it was just very uh, touching for me to see that and forced me to rethink a lot of things, uh, but more about the levels of advocacy for black girls in these spaces along with others, of course, but we were in this after school space where I felt um, it's even probably uh, more necessary uh, where there might be minimal supervision um, in many cases. For me, it's really hard to come up with like the most, um, I don't know, the episode that was like most transformative for me, I guess, because there's just been so many that I've had um, different topics on. I, I just, I'll mention a couple, like, I'll be brief about it, but, you know, I get emails from time to time from like PR, I think people who are like, oh, you know, this person's coming out with this book, like they'd be great for your podcast or whatever. And a lot of time it's like, no, like, I don't think it would be great for my <laughs> podcast, but I got one um, a, f a couple of years ago about um, this Jefferson County Memorial Project that is, and this is an intense topic, so I'm just going to put that warning out there right now, because just the one word could evoke a lot of emotions. Um, 
and they they're dedicated to um a memorial to victims of lynching and i read this and i'm like hmm because it was it was nothing i've ever done an episode on first of all and it it was like does this fit with what i'm doing and then it's like of course this fits like and i'm so glad i did that interview um with with them with t marie king and abigail schneider and like t marie you know her uncle was killed by white racist mob violence so she like talked about that and then talked about like why she does this work and the power of the work and and that was like that was so eye-opening for me in so many ways because I was ne I never had that education either first of all right I didn't know the legacy of racial terror that I now know much more about you know um and so that was that was one of the most powerful episodes. Like there were times that I wasn't even sure what to say, you know, when they were talking. Um, I did one also with uh, Chris, Qua uh, Chris Cuevas from Q Latin X, which is an organization in, in Orlando that formed after the Pulse nightclub shooting. And um, that was another one where it was like, there was so much trauma, like so much trauma in that, in that interview and just, but so much healing. And I tried to just give that space and just let them go off about so much of it because, and again, there were times in that one too, where it was like, I, I'm not even sure what to say. Cause I don't want to like say something that's going to shut this down or take it in a certain direction. Cause there's so much here that people need to know about, especially mental health like the mental health system just failing those folks you know and them needing to create their own support system in the wake of all that loss so i would say those two and then also i did interview one of the founders of the national association of black social workers um Garland Jaggers and, and also their archivist, Dr. Denise McLean Davison. And he, so he did talk about what it was like in 68 when they walked out of that conference and formed their own and woof, that was powerful. And it was also like, that was in 68 and how much has really changed. Well, that's why I mentioned that because of your podcast interview. Yeah. <laughs> because it was, it was so powerful. Yeah. But you could imagine if that was in some sort of like storytelling documentary format. And so I totally heard what you were saying when you were bringing that up, because you could have like the footage and like, you know, like you'd have the Panthers and, you know, he talks about being, you know, a Malcolm X, a Malcolm X guy. Like he talks about that and then having to go a little MLK. I mean, there's so much in there that they get into. And so I, I just feel like it's such an honor to be able to put out the, that those these stories you know that to help um create that legacy as well you know for this work because there is I, I saw an interesting um twitter thread about what's going to happen like with all these podcasts because you know where are they stored like where's the archive like because because once our hosting sites 
or down someday, what happens to these audio files, you know? And so that's another thing as social work profession, we should be thinking about. So like that episode, the MP3 file, right? Not the hosting one that people download, right? The streaming one, but the, the actual audio file that's in the NABSW archive that Dr. Denise McLean Davison, um, you know, is the archivist for. So like that audio file is there. So that will always be part of their, their uh, history. But what about all these other ones, you know? Well, I'd just throw it out. Um, I, I, I love that you brought that up. And I think that, um, you know, the internet archive is this nonprofit project. Um, it, it hosts the Wayback Machine, some other things. I, I make a monthly contribution to it because I think it's so important to archive the internet. And this is one of these places where we can think about archiving um, podcast episodes. Uh, another place is Wikimedia, which is you can upload audio to Wikimedia and have it be essentially archived there. Now, there's no guarantee that Wikimedia won't, won't go away also, but um, it's another way of thinking about that. And I think this is really, this is really important. Dr. Singer, you, you mentioned something that I reflect on often is how intimate we get to be with the podcast, like the editing it through the production pieces. And it's like, so much of the episode that resonates with me, people actually don't even get a chance to hear. Mm. Like the the whole prep piece and the the outlining is like, hey, you know, this is how we're gonna spin this. And there is an episode; it hasn't aired yet, and it's with Dr. Frederick Ingram, and I think his episode comes out in June. And just the words of affirmation and encouragement he gave me as I prepare to defend, like I wish I would have been able to record that because I'm sure some other black or brown boy would love to hear like, hey man, you got it. This is your time to shine you've put in the work it's like ah oh, why didn't i record that piece like you know you you stop sharing your screen and it's like okay this is what i'm going to work with but there's so many times where i'm editing the episodes like wow this is this is good stuff like it doesn't fit for the episode this is like i want to just share the raw file with somebody yeah uh why well, I, I know that i think it was mike and scott who's a behavioral health reporter at whyy um i think she told me that um, you know, one of the tricks of the trade when you're doing, she's a radio reporter is you're like, okay, well, thank you so much. That was great. And then you keep the tape running because inevitably the best stuff happens after they're like, oh, I'm off camera. Like I'm no longer being recorded. Right. That's when the walls completely come down. Um, and if you're a journalist, there's nothing unethical about, about that. I think as podcasters, we have to think a little bit more deeply about what that means, especially if our guest is sharing something that might be intimate or personal or saying something that they're like, wait, 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 I didn't, I didn't realize this was going to be posted for the whole world to hear. But, um, but I do think that um, there is that intimacy and there's that connection that we get as the, the, the interviewers with people that, that opportunity to connect. And I also think there's this intimacy that our listeners have with us and with our guests that they otherwise wouldn't have. Um, you know, I, I sometimes joke, it's like, I, I feel like I know Ira Glass or, you know, Terry Gross or, or some of these other folks. Uh, I, I don't. Um, I, the, the, the one time I met Terry Gross, she sort of like stared at me blankly, like, why are you talking to me? Um, and, uh, uh, and she was totally right. Like I, I had 
no business talking to her, but, um, uh, but people, you know, they get to know us because we're literally in their ears and it is very intimate. And so I think that bringing the stories, Marquita, that you're bringing, um, uh, to life and, and Shimon, the way that you're telling these, uh, sharing the experiences of folks on the front line and, and, you know, and, and, and James, what you're doing with the Equity Matters podcast, like we're bringing intimacy to these topics in a way that lots of people could never be intimate with them. And, and so we anchor the, um, the, the change gets anchored because there is an affective experience that otherwise wouldn't happen. And I think that's incredibly powerful. Um, yeah, I think one of the, when you talk about editing out things, there was, as I mentioned earlier, I asked the young women, young ladies to tell me what they want to talk about, um, share, top, discuss topics that are important to them. What are some things that you think are important? That process was not recorded, but I wish it was. I mean, every single time, um, just capturing how they think about certain concepts and then further how they even define things that we think we know or they, that we understand about their experience. You know, um, I, there were a couple of times where I had to ask, okay, can you give me clarity on what you mean? You know, um, how they might describe, how they interact with one another, slang terms that they might use uh, obviously escaped me because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know the latest <laughs> lingo. But they would just explain it in a way that, oh yeah, this is what that means. And I'll, I'll say, okay, but so are you saying that these two relationships mean that? And then these other types of relationships, like, no, that's not what that means. That's not what I'm saying. So we, having to clarify that to me has so much weight. If you are, let's say a teacher or a social worker or someone who has to do with the forward progression of this young lady, and you don't understand the language, but you assume that you understand the language. And you're also, you layer that with not really wanting to hear an explanation about what their understanding is. It, it can be um, a huge detriment or just a, a huge obstacle to their growth and development. So I wish I had captured that process because I was truly asking, okay, talk to me as if I'm a kindergartner here. Teach me what you mean by this, because I don't understand. Um, and it was effective for sure. So it's it's been great, right? Because one, I don't think I I don't think I've talked to too many podcasters on the show. I can think of two: Gary Tra Taylor and Chris, the hip hop social worker. So just even being in fellowship with other podcasters is really exciting. And I want to make sure that people can keep up with you all, um, keep up with future episodes, go back and listen to old ones. So you want to just share your contact info or best ways to keep in the know? Yeah, my podcast from Girls to Women can be found on all podcasting platforms, um, but it is uh, FGTW from Girls to Women. And iTunes primarily. Yeah, doing the work can be found on any podcast and apps. And I've also got a site, www.doingthework.com, and that is without the G. 
Yeah. So, um, socialworkpodcast.com. I'm also on Twitter at SOCWORK podcast. And I'm on Facebook at SW podcast. Um, fun fact got onto Facebook as SW podcast. And then I was conversing with the folks at, um, University of Buffalo about whether or not to go onto Twitter. And the next thing I knew they had, they had registered SW podcast as their Twitter handle. So I had to do S O C W O R K podcast, um, which is a little frustrating. And it's also led to a little bit of confusion. Sometimes people tag them when they think they're tagging me, but, um, that's where you can find me. We just got the dirt right there. Right. <laughs> you know, I, it's, this is what happens, right? It's towards the end, you start spilling the tea and like, you know. <laughs> yeah, the whole doorknob thing. Exactly. <laughs> I'm also, I also have on uh, Twitter for the podcast, doing the work pod also on Instagram and then Facebook. And then my Twitter is Shimon D. Cohen. So those are ways you can keep up with me as well. I don't have many opinions that I put out there. <laughs> no, you're pretty, you're pretty vanilla on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to catch up on just burning it all down, you know, give me, give me a follow. <laughs> I was going to answer the Boston Celtics joke, but I let it go. Um... Come on, man. <laughs> don't do that to me. From Detroit, man, you know, we got a, a very tense relationship <laughs> with like everybody, right? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. <laughs> well played, well played, <laughs> Dr. Dorsey, Dr. Singer, Shimon. It's been great. I appreciate you all taking the time, and I'm looking forward to the future episodes that we all put out together. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. So, fun fact. I tried to do as little editing as possible on this episode. Part of that because of the great reveal of what happens when you do edit and just the loss of conversation and affirmation and just the humor that goes into podcasting. I think being able to share, you know, my disdain for the Boston Celtics, you, you would have never known had I cut that out. But I, I think it's important just to show kind of the, the behind the scenes of what's happening. Also, I want to give just a another round of thanks to Dr. Dorsey, Dr. Singer, and Shimon for hopping on the podcast, especially knowing that they're podcasters too, and their schedules fill up really quickly. And so just thank you for, for rocking with us today. A few quick updates on things that are happening. And so we are moving closer and closer to the Equity Matters Social Justice Academy first module. And that is taking up all the space, understanding power and positionality. And so I just want folks to, to be aware of a few things. And so my goal is to actually put out the registration link next month. The link will be all over all of our social media. So there should be no way that you miss it. And quick rundown on that at Equity Matters Podcast on Instagram, at Equity Matters PC on Twitter, Equity Matters Podcast on Facebook, but there will be more than enough information on what to expect with the first module. I did share some of the learning objectives 
just for people to get familiar with kind of what to expect when they log in. I think it's important to, to not be surprised by that. But I, I want folks to walk away really with a shared understanding of not just the concepts, but also how it applies in your practice. And so typically when we talk about positionality, it comes from a place of research. And this is going to blend the research and the practice components because having specific social identities grants you a different position and also offers you a different point of privilege. And so being able to talk about those things in a space where you can understand how your privilege unlocks certain access to benefits. And so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give it away all here, but know that that's a lot of the conversation that's going to take place. The next thing that people should be aware of is that there's going to be a fee for it. And part of that is I've got student loans, too, and I'm sharing my expertise. And so why not? Question mark. All of that will be shared when we officially launch. Just continue to follow the social media. You'll know. I'll mention it on future episodes. It'll all be there. Again, thanks, y'all. I mean, it's been a fun ride and I said it like it's over but clearly it's not so until next time equity matters <laughs>